Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are joined by a former world junior number one. She won the Junior French Open Championships in doubles in 2016, went on to win the Junior Wimbledon Championships in singles in 2017. She also made the Junior French Open final that year. And she's someone who's been a steady riser in the crop of young American talents that we have on the W. UTA Tour right now, and there are so many of them, right? So it's hard to keep track of everyone. Players like Anisimova and Kennan and Bellis and Goff are obviously some of the highlights, but you know, it's an incredibly de- uh, deep class of girls as well. Players like Whitney Osigwe, Haley Baptiste, Katie McNally. I mean, the list can go on and on and on, and that's why we're so excited today to talk with one of those girls in Claire Lou, someone we had the chance to speak with briefly when we were at the Kentucky Open this year, uh, but someone who we got the chance to finally sit down with and chat about everything. We talked about how she was able to ascend up the junior ranks so quickly, her incredible uh, 2017 season. Season as well, where you know not only did she have that junior success, but she beat Danielle Collins in the final of a 25k in Naples on the Pro Tour. She beat another player in May in 2017 to win another 25k event. Keep in mind, in May of 2017, that's when she turned. Uh, 17 years old so she's someone who won her first pro title at the age of 14 back in March of 2015 she was the youngest player uh, to win a tournament since Anna Kornikova and you know she quickly ascended up the rankings by that point in 2017 she'd worked her way towards that top 200 she you know at the beginning of this season reached a career high of number 137 but uh, it, you know right now she's sitting at number 219 she has played a couple of uh, slam main draws, but she's not where she needs or not where she wants to be. And certainly, uh, you know, she believes she can continue to thrive. So we talked to her about the hot start to her 20, uh, 2020. That's the year we're in. It's all blended together now at this point, folks. But she talks about her hot start to 2020, how she's been playing well at the start of this season. Uh, as I mentioned, she made that final uh, in when we were in Nicholasville, I should say, uh, for that 100K event, her first final at the 100K level. She also made another final in January. So, you know, we talked to her about her hot start to the season. We obviously asked her how she has adjusted to the coronavirus pandemic, how it's affected her training, you know, how it's affected her daily life, what she plans to do with the additional downtime. It's a lot of fun. You know, she talks about her what you know, cooking through a cookbook and all of these different things. But I don't want to give anything else away. So, so really fun interview and with that I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with Claire Lou. Mm-hmm. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us now on the Crack Interviews podcast, she reached the number one position in the World Junior Rankings in 2017, a junior French Open and Wimbledon champion, and someone who by the live rankings, the race to Shenzhen, is number 99 after her start to the 2020 season. Claire Liu, congrats on making the top 100, since I'm not sure if we're going to have any more tennis this season, and welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. How are you? (laughs) Thank you. I'm good. Glad to be here. Oh, well, it's great having you. And I, I think we have to start with the, you know, the boring questions, but obviously coronavirus wiping out, you know, the foreseeable future of the tennis season. You know, how are you holding up with that? Has it been an adjustment? And, you know, what's your reaction to it all been? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. It's, you know, pretty dark times right now. And, um, you know, when I first found out about all all the tournaments being suspended and stuff, it didn't really sink in until a couple weeks later um you know when the lockdown and everything is happening but it's you know super sad to see what the world is going through but hopefully we can just stick together and you know just get through it yeah oh, absolutely and you know for you i'm curious because with so many you know public lockdowns even public courts have been closed and non-essential facilities all of these things has it been hard for you to find training has it you know what is your daily regimen look like how have you adjusted yeah it's definitely been really hard i mean i my training base was at carson so obviously that's closed down and um yeah, had to stay home. So workouts have been very creative and um, I'm still keeping in touch with, you know, my coach and fitness trainer with the USTA. So um, we've all been communicating a lot and just finding new ways to, you know, stay, stay fit and um, work on anything I can. Yeah. For me, it's been force myself to do 10 pushups before opening the fridge because I just, <laughs> I keep going there. I can't help it. It's, I mean, it's just too easy. And I, I can only imagine what that's like for you, um, especially because you were off to a really good start this season, nine and five. You had made the finals at the 100K Kentucky, another final at a 25K. Uh, how were you feeling about your tennis at the start of this season? Yeah, um, going into this year, I really wanted to build a lot of matches and um, try and get my confidence up, and I think I did that pretty well at the beginning of the year. And, you know, it's really hard to see at this time when I didn't have any, when I didn't have any points to defend for me to, like, you know, really get a lot of matches and play a bunch of tournaments. It, it kind of sucks, you know, to not have that, but... Um, I don't know, just trying to stay positive and I can always get better at a, at other things and um, keep working on things. So it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world, obviously. Yeah, definitely. And I, again, your tennis got better and better outside of, you know, Vic Meyer. It feels like you were beating everyone at that point. And, you know, yeah, for you, yeah, for now, for now, um, but, you know, for you and it, it's pretty cool. I, I think the boat has you know sailed on me for this opportunity but you've been interviewed by the New York Times and I read a quote from you at the end of that piece and you said uh, you know at that time 2017 I can feel the expectation to win growing but I remind myself that it's all about development and there's no rush I'm just trying to keep tennis fun and that you know 
considering that was 2017, you were, what, 17 years old? Ridiculous insight as always. Um, But I'm curious for you, because you talk about balancing, getting in enough matches. How much of it for you is now, you know, I need to, you know, I want to win and need to win now versus still keeping your longer-term development in mind? Um, yeah, I mean, can't believe I said that when I was 17. I wish I could, you know, um, <laughs> do what I say, but um, <laughs> it's it's really hard. I mean, I'm still, I think a lot of people are still, you know, ba- trying to find that balance of like really wanting to win, but also, you know, trying to get better and focusing on the process. And I'm still doing that. I think, you know, learning from last year helped me a lot and um, a lot of hindsight and just, you know, trying to convince myself and focus on the work and hoping that that'll translate into the results. Yeah, and again, it, it has. This year you've made two finals, so clearly, uh, you know, for you, it, it, you're, in, you're making a jump, and again, that's why it sucks that we're robbed of more tournaments in the future, uh, immediate future, but, you know, for you personally, I, I'm sure you've heard this enough, but there are so many talented young American women on the rise uh, right now, so many amongst your age group as well, you know, players you grew up with, Katie McNally, and Lee, and Whitney, and Amanda, Coco, all of these different players. Does it help you does it you know do you put more stress on yourself when you see all of these people having success or does it you know give you extra confidence saying hey I I grew up with these players I can still beat these players I can be there myself um definitely all of the above kind (laughs) of depends like how I'm feeling at that moment I mean sometimes I'll be like oh my god like I wish I was them if I could like (laughs) play like them or if I was like playing the tournament that they were playing but then um, I think it's obviously it's very good to have like so many um, young players, young Americans doing so well. I mean, I think we all push each other. Um, I know that I want to, you know, do, you know, do the same or better than them. And they obviously want to do better. Um, so we're all pushing each other. But, you know, sometimes it gets a little dark, but I think overall it's very positive. No, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's competitive, right? It's the best of both worlds. You're like, I can beat her. I should be there. Uh, yeah, it, it's now. I still do that, and I don't even play tennis anymore. So yeah, <laughs> completely understand that. And you know, um, you know, we've talked about 2020, but for you, uh, at this point, uh, and I'm sure you know, it's it's so far in the future. We don't know if we're going to have tennis, but are there more immediate, you know, tennis goals for you right now? You want to continue to make finals, get back in the top 200, whatever it may be. What is your focus on? Uh, you know at this moment yeah um I mean when this year started I had um you know certain ranking goals obviously it's you know really hard to try and get there now but um I think I'm just you know I'm watching a lot of my past matches and trying to find like um technique things or movement or anything that I can get better at um with what I have now and um you know, hopefully if the tournaments start coming back or I can get back training, then anything that I did or am doing now will, you know, help me get better in the future for sure. So I'm so happy you just said something I have to ask about. Do you watch your own film, your own matches, and take the little tidbits? And what is that process like? Because, you know, I've watched myself, and I I suck. So, you know, five minutes, (laughs) I'm like, what am I doing? But, you know, what is that process like for you? Um. Yeah, I think... I don't know, the last about year, I would say, um, my coach and I have definitely watched a lot of my past matches, anything that we can get on film. 
um, even practice too. Um, and we definitely watch the good and bad. That's for sure. I would always <laughs> like to watch the good. I hate watching myself, you know, do bad as I'm sure a lot of people do, but, um, yeah, I think definitely focus on like point structure, movement. Um, there are always little things I think from all over the spectrum that I can get better at. So any little thing, I think, especially during this time, I will definitely be doing a lot of that. Yeah. Will you watch other players as well? Who are the players you're drawn to? And, you know, is that because game styles match up? What is it? Yeah, I definitely watch a lot of players. Um, I mean, you know, Federer and Nadal are obviously like the big ones, but <laughs> um, Halep, Svitolina, um, Sonia Kennan, Bianca. I mean, we'll just go through the whole U.S. Open draw, basically, and just watch everyone. <laughs> And so are you a tennis fanatic? Would you say in your spare time, and maybe it's part of the profession too, that's how I justify it to myself, but will you be, you know, you'll go down the YouTube rabbit hole because I'm sure Crack Rackets fans right now are like, ooh, what's Claire Lou watching? I want to watch that as well. You know, I would love to say I'm a tennis fanatic. I don't think I am one. <laughs> um, I do, you know, sometimes tennis videos pop up on my YouTube, but other than that, it's more my coach just sending me stuff to make me watch it. Yeah, that makes sense. You you have things to do. You have a life. Um, I would, I'd a... like to think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, I can only wish that I watched a little less tennis. But at the same time, it's it's too fun. I get to watch Claire Lou highlights, right? <laughs> um, so it's a win for me. And, you know, you know, for our listeners who don't know about your background, and I'm sure a lot of our hardcore fans will say, oh, of course, Junior Slam champion. How could I not know her? But, uh, you know, how did you get into the sport? When did you first start playing tennis? Um, yeah, I think I started playing when I was four or five, basically. My parents just played for fun, so whenever they would go out, I they would take me with them, and then I would hit a few balls, and um, I kind of just progressed from there. And did when did you yourself realize, oh, I'm pretty good at this? Um, maybe when I was around, like, eight or nine, I remember the coach that I was working with, my childhood coach was friends with I think it was like Debbie Graham who was um working at Carson and so that's how I kind of got introduced to like the USTA and the Carson Training Center and I've basically been there for like the last 10 years so yeah and did you did you immediately go to the ho the homeschooling route did you stay in public school private school whatever it may be um no I definitely didn't I started homeschooling pretty late um probably like I think sophomore year was when I was like fully homeschooled um so I, I kind of I, I definitely wanted to stay in school for as long as possible mm -hmm. and I believe you were 14 when you won your first uh pro tournament at that point you know youngest since Kornikova that's 2015 right around then did it become you know you realized you could get even better if you started focusing on the tennis full-time what led you to the decision to you know step back from school and start training as often as possible um, I mean, yeah, I guess winning my first pro tournament, that kind of like gave me an idea of, you know, what, what I could possibly be doing as I, you know, kept playing tennis. But I think just because I was training with such a great group of girls, we had a bunch of people at Carson, you know, almost all of them were homeschooled. I think it was just like the more I played, the more I realized like I have to dedicate a little bit more time if I want to, you know, keep getting better. 
if you're 14 years old and you win a pro tournament, how do you celebrate that? Um, I think I remember what <laughs> basically our celebration was pretty awful. We like we had to drive to the airport and we missed our flight, and I had to like stay at like a crappy hotel. But you know, I was with my friends, and um, that was fine, I guess. But it wasn't much of a big celebration. Yeah, I feel like at that point it's like let's go get ice cream. But like, yeah. Beyond, yeah, but beyond that, that's so funny. You missed your flight, but you know, at that point, you I'm sure you realized you had something good, if not before then, and you go to Carson, and then you know, I you know, I think 2016 was when you won that French Open doubles junior slam, but 2017 is really when you hit your stride, and you know, you won two pro tournaments, you um, ended up finaling junior French Open, winning junior Wimbledon. What do you remember about that season, and you know, what did that do for you from a confidence perspective? Yeah, I remember a lot from that season. That was, like, <laughs> a really good year. Um, I think, you know, I changed coaches at the beginning of the year, um, and that really helped me. I think, he, you know, that's a coach that I'm still with today, and he just, like, really upped my confidence and really, you know, made me – feel like I had an identity and a game and um, kind of he was the one that pushed me towards you know focusing on the process and focusing on the work instead of just the matches and the points and and winning and all that stuff Um, and I think I really bought into that and I think that was what really helped me you know get a good get a good year I mean I remember (laughs) walking onto the Wimbledon you know center court for finals and all I was thinking was okay you just have to focus on your game it doesn't matter if you win or lose just focus on your game and you know if you win that's a great plus but if you lose at least you won't walk off the court with any regrets so I think that mindset really helped me and that 2017 season on the junior circuit, 23 and one, ridiculous. Uh, you know, 12 and 0 on the grass. Uh, you won, I think, Roehampton in the lead up to Wimbledon as well. And you know, to get the experiences to play a junior Slam final and at both the French Open and Junior Wimbledon to get experience on a grass surface, you know, that early in your career. Do those sorts of things still help you now? Does, you know, do you feel less intimidated even when you're playing a match at, say, Stanford or whatever, WTA international level? Does it help that you've gotten to play at those biggest stages already? Um, Yeah, I think it's a little bit, you know, mixed. Obviously, there are some huge pluses from you know, playing at Wimbledon at a young age in French in the Grand Slams, I think it gives you a little taste of, you know, if you play, if you continue playing in the pros, what it's going to be like. I think um, it can also, on the flip side, just, you know, give you such high expectations that, like, it kind of, you know, knocks you down. But I think either way, it's great to, you know, build off of it, build off the positives or, you know, learn from any expectation or pressure that you put on yourself anyways. I I I think that's a really good point is that you go to and uh, a play you know a random 25k whatever it may be and it's not the grandeur of Wimbledon I'm sure that you know the adrenaline rushes a little bit less I do have to ask though because I've never done it what's it like when you walk out there on a stage like a Wimbledon like a French Open you talked about being able to stay focused how difficult is it to do that um I mean I think it was easier at Wimbledon just because I had that experience at French Open there was a lot of things that I wanted to do different. So I really wanted to make sure that um, I didn't have, you know, 
any outside distraction or any, you know, bad mindset. Um, I think, you know, that learning experience definitely helped me. But, you know, it never really prepares you when you walk on that court. Like, you see all those people watching. It's still really, it, it kind of, you know, makes it more fun and, like, makes you think, like, okay, like, it's not as serious. It's not too serious. Like, this is such a cool experience. Just, you know, try enjoy, try to enjoy the moment. Yeah, it's awesome. And obviously, you had success at those stages. And, you know, uh, for you that year, I, I know at the time you were still considering college tennis. Um, at, you know, at what point did you make this decision, okay, it's time for me to just seriously go pro? Um, yeah, basically, I turned pro at U.S. Open when mm-hmm. I qualified. Um for 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 main draw i think that was that was a big turning point for me where like okay i think i can i can definitely compete at this level were there schools you were considering um yeah i mean i pretty much thought i was going to college up until that point um i mean i probably would have stayed in california though (laughs) (laughs) just because of the weather the uh, somewhere like stanford usc ucla i'm sure you have had your pick um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Stanford, USC, UCLA, Pepperdine, any any one of those. I mean, I, I would have been lucky to go to any one of those. So, yeah. yeah that's smart. And you can still keep the door open to go root for any of those schools by mentioning all of them. So, you know, I think the, the Irvine fans out there are a little disappointed, but they may understand. Um, and no, so, you know, for you then, your first couple of years on tour, because I, I'm sure, I think that first year, end of 2017 and 2018, at least at the beginning, you may have had some age restrictions still, but, you know, traveling from tournament to tournament and going from a place like, uh, you know, as beautiful as a Wimbledon and a junior French Open to, uh, these new places, you know, you're playing a different place every week. You're going from Castera, Sacramento, uh, all of these different places. What is that transition like for for you and you know have you grown accustomed to the lifestyle at this point um yeah I think you know with the traveling and stuff I think juniors really helped with that um we still had you know a pretty long season and there were still a lot of international tournaments that I had to go to so it was kind of just a continuation of that but um I mean it's always really cool to just go to any place I mean whether it be like local or another country I mean I think you can always find, you know, fun things to do there. So it's always fun. Are you someone who gets out of the hotel when you're not playing and, you know, goes and checks out whatever city you're in? Yeah, I think I have to do that to keep myself <laughs> sane. Are, are there any sweet spots, you know, hidden places that you would recommend? Like, hey, I'm in this city and you'd be amazed actually at this, you know, what are the, the hidden gems around the pro tour? Um, I mean, I remember in 2018 I had like really long Europe um trip and I think me and my coach definitely really enjoyed Bucharest um yeah I don't know it was just it was really fun and it was towards the end of the trip so it was really cool to just explore the city but I think anywhere you go there's always something really fun to find so I mean it's always really cool to just explore that Mm -hmm. so you're not a Netflixer you're not just going to stay in your room I definitely am, but I know <laughs> that it's good for me to go out, so I kind of force myself to. I mean, I could stay in a room all day, so 
Yeah. <laughs> well, good. That bodes well for you for this next month there. Plus. <laughs> uh, so that's good to hear. But, you know, again, being on the road and adjusting to training in different cities and let's say you lose early one week or, you know, you win late one week and you have to immediately make that transition. Is that the hardest part of life on the pro tour? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a loaded not question. All- <laughs> yeah there's there are a lot of layers to it um obviously yeah. if you're towards the end of a tournament that's a very good problem to have um i would take that over you know losing early obviously but um i think there's always you know there's always hard parts but there's always great parts if you lose early you can use that time to work on something and then if you stay later like obviously you're doing well you're doing something right so there's always some kind of positive in anything Again, I'm I'm all in on this mindset. I think we all <laughs> needed to hear this right now, and you know, for you, uh, what is the level of competition? You know, that jump like when you go from the top of the junior game, and you know, particularly now when we see so many again young players having immediate success. What's the jump from you from you know the top of the junior level to the 25k, 60k, 100k level that you're playing at now? Um, I think you know it's crazy. I think you know. In the older days, I probably the level was a little like there was probably a bigger difference. I think obviously now there's so many you know great juniors winning 25s and doing so well in the pros. So I think the level's getting definitely a lot closer. And um, not that the pro level is getting worse. I think the pro level is getting harder, and the juniors are just getting a lot better too. So um, the transition was still a little bit of a difference for me, but honestly, you know. I didn't have easy matches in the juniors. I I definitely don't have easy matches in the pros. So competing-wise, it's kind of the same. Mm -hmm. And for you in your career, uh, 113 and 81 uh, in ITF matches, uh, you know, it does, you know, 65% win percentage on clay is your highest. Would you say that's your favorite surface at this point? Um, I think for me, I try to, you know, find good things in every surface I think you know each surface brings out something that I can do well so um yeah I'm gonna try to look at it like that yeah yeah, sure and for you uh again playing because as you mentioned the game does seem to be getting better and better there are so many players who if you say hey they're gonna make the second week of a slam at this point you'd be like yeah I believe that could happen uh with that being said you know not to put a specific number on it but how much of a week's result is dependent on you know even less so than physically just mentally being confident going into the week and feeling good about your game oh it's so important I would say it's equally important, if not more. I mean, especially, you know, looking back on last year, I think mental is a huge, huge part of, you know, doing well in this sport or any sport, honestly. Yeah, and and how do you work on developing that? Because is that something, you know, you just need game reps or is it something you can, you know, how what you and your coach, it's an off-court mental drill. What does that look like? Because I'm sure, you know, we're, that's not something we all do in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, I think I was really fortunate to start at a young age mental training. Um, You know, even when I was a junior, like, still, you know, going to normal school, I remember we would have, like, mental training, like, once a week at least. And, you know, obviously now I've definitely upped it. Um, I talk to um, a sports psychologist once a week. And, like, we always do some some sort of exercise. Um, 
to, you know, keep, keep the brain active and, um, yeah. And is it also about simulating that environment, the match environment in practice? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously now when we don't have any tournaments, I think it's really important to make the competitive side as close to, um, you know, as close to a practice, you know? Um, so yeah, sorry. That was like, <laughs> no, please. That, no I, again that's what we're looking for i feel like everyone's a little scrambled at this point now it's just you know being you know stuck two weeks anywhere right when was the last time you were stationary for you know a prolonged period of two to four weeks i feel like life on the road you must always be on the road yeah i can't remember a time when i was actually last year i kind of had like a mental like lapse or like I kind of had some mental problems so like I definitely I took some time off but other than that I don't remember a time when I've been this like alone or um <laughs> not doing anything for a while. You, yeah. have you gone stir crazy at all um a little bit I think I've done a good job with my team and like coming up with you know um fitness plans and trying to keep busy but yeah it's definitely it's it's growing on me <laughs> no for sure it's growing on us again uh it's, i was telling you before just getting to have a conversation at these point on these podcasts is a highlight for me like oh my god i i haven't interacted in so long. i feel like i'm talking with my hands thankfully it's podcast form so no one can see it but just all of my gestures are off um so you know, I feel like we're all feeling it at this point. And, you know, uh, again, thank you for taking the time to chat today. In terms of, you know, last tennis questions, I want to have a little fun with a rapid fire down the home stretch. But, you know, for you at this point, and I know we all still don't know uh, when tennis is going to come back, but, you know, what are your short-term goals, uh, I guess, to get through this, uh, you know, crisis, this pandemic, and then when tennis does come back, uh, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish over the next, you know, 12 months? Um, yeah, I think probably the biggest thing that I'm focused on right now is just trying to keep a base. So when the training, you know, gets harder and uh, more rigorous, I, I can, you know, stay healthy and not get injured because that's the last thing I would want. Um, I think, you know, once the tournaments start coming back and, you know, play starts getting better, I think. I mean, still the end goal is to always get better. So I'm never going to, you know, change that answer. But um, obviously, I, you know, I would like to get my ranking high enough to top 100. But, um, you know, obviously it's not the end of the world if I don't. And um, there's always next year. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. And I feel like someone who hits the ball as hard as you, can you hit against a garage or a wall? Won't you break it? I haven't tried that, but maybe I will. I don't know. I should I should try that out. Well, I just feel like if you unload a forehand, you connect well. It's like, well, that's a dent, like for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but so all right. Last thing that I want to do with you, it's a rapid fire segment. We like to run our guests through this uh, whenever we get them on the pod, just so we can learn a little bit more about them. And uh, you know, we're all in this quarantine time, so I do want to ask some quarantine related questions. But would that sound good to you? Yeah, sounds good. All right, Westoff, give me a rapid fire sound effect, please. So let's start here. Um, for you, you talked about it. You, you are willing to uh, watch some Netflix shows when we have downtime. We all have downtime right now. What shows are going by? You know, are going on Claire to lose TV? 
Um, honestly, I've been trying to keep myself so busy that I haven't been watching Netflix much, but I've started New Girl. Um, if Friends was still on Netflix, I'd definitely be like binging Friends. <laughs> well, what do you do that to keep yourself busy? All that because I'm sure I, I'm open for suggestions. I need things to do. Well, um, I heard mo- um, Money Heist or something is really good, but I don't know. I've just been, you know, trying to do like two workouts a day. Um, that takes up a lot of time because then I have to like rest for like the same amount of time. So that just takes <laughs> up like half the day. And then, you know, I've been fortunate where some courts haven't been closed so i've been able to hit which is nice so yeah that keeps me busy i guess no that's enviable do you have the workout set up at your house you know a bike and bands or whatever you may need i definitely don't have any equipment but you know a run is always hard so (laughs) yeah no that's what i've gone to as well i'm just like i need to get out of this space like i'm going for a run um but no, that that's awesome that you have a plan still intact. And so I guess for you, uh, we'll go some other base things. Then have you read any good books recently? Um, I haven't. But oh, actually, I read Little Woman, which is good. Um, I'm starting Perks of Being a Wallflower right now. I don't know, it's just like super random, but yeah. No, we we all have to hit all of the classics at this point. Right? <laughs> Yeah, it's just yeah. We're all looking for things. All right. Well, then again, you've traveled some great places. Uh, your favorite non Bucharest, I guess, since you nominated that, but your favorite place to travel to for tennis. Um, for tennis, I mean, I played a tournament in Malibu, which is nice. So that's not too far from my house. <laughs> um, Good answer. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with Malibu. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, definitely. What about non tennis related? Your favorite place to travel to non-tennis related um i maybe like mexico i don't know i, I did a cruise there which was really fun <laughs> yeah uh, that's gotta be answer. the beach yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> i think we all missed it at this point um all right have you done any cooking at all since oh, I, yeah. what i've learned is i can only eat sunny side up eggs so many times i'm sorry i need to learn <laughs> something new but for you uh what, what have you been cooking well, I actually have to have eggs like every day for breakfast, so I don't think I could get sick <laughs> of eggs. But um, my sister like really likes cooking, and she's bought a bunch of cookbooks. So I've been trying. I really want to do like a cook through a cookbook kind of thing. So I've been doing. Um, I don't know. I've I did like oh I've done like popovers. I've done. Um, what else have I done? Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Like I don't know. Like some kind of You've stew done or so something. Much. Just like different. Yeah, so much stuff. It's, it's all merging into one. Yeah, cook through a cookbook sounds like a challenge. Like that sounds difficult. Yeah, it sounds. It it looks really hard. <laughs> Do you get to but pick I mean, a dessert every day? You're like Tuesday is going to be this. Thursday for sure is this dessert. That's what I would I, do. I, I definitely would. I I for sure would have. Oh, I I actually made like I don't know if you know um milk bar. It's like a bakery kind of thing, and they have this famous like. It's called a celebratory cake. It's like a funfetti cake with like three layers and like icing and like cookie or a cake crumble. And I did that once, which was really good. But I don't think I could make dessert every day. I would probably get fat. <laughs> That's right. I forget you're a pro athlete. I'm not. You bring up food. I'm immediately in my own mindset. Um, no, yeah, that that sounds awesome um, for you. And again, uh, I, I can only imagine. Uh, I mean, we're all getting stir crazy. So I, I, I need to learn something new. I've had like peanut butter jelly. 
and that's really it. Cereal every <laughs> so often. I'm a very plain Jane type of guy. Um, but no, Claire, I, again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And again, good luck to you as we all try and get through this time. Stay safe. Um, yeah, if you send any, have any good recipes and you want to send photos, I'm all ears, all eyes. I, I would, you know, okay. I'm interested. I need to learn. So I feel like there's a cooking show in your future. It's going to be like a month from now. And you're going to be like, yeah. I need to start doing this because I've gotten really good. And, you know, just, you know, give us a call because I know a guy who can produce it. Okay, definitely. I will do that for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Claire, take care. It's always a pleasure and good luck to you. Stay safe. Thank you so much for having me. I, I yeah, appreciate it. Of course. Take care. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with world number 219, former junior Grand Slam champion Claire Liu. Uh, you, you can tell just again, one of the so, we have so many talented young American women right now on the WTA tour, and they're all lovely personalities too. You can tell they're all uh, cerebral. They all want to win so badly, want to become the best players they can be, and it doesn't seem like any of them get caught up in the moment. They understand they need to put their heads down. They need to work as hard as possible to earn uh, the accolades that they have. So many of them have already achieved this young, in, or this early in their young careers, and so again, I want to thank Claire for taking the time to chat. I keep joking around with all of these guests, but anytime I can have a conversation at this point, it's just helpful. Uh, so huge thank you to Claire we wish her luck hopefully her and her family of course stay healthy as we wish for all of you during this time and if you need something to distract you from the day-to-day stresses we're all feeling it we have been cranking out content here at cracked rackets uh if you're not already go subscribe to our youtube channel right now it's three clicks 30 seconds of your time it'll do wonders for daniel westoff's uh individual health as well uh and he's up to so many cool things on that youtube channel videos such as our new overserved uh video segment which breaks down all the unintentional comedy from the tennis world things like cr classics which we just launched a new series watching and breaking down the highlights from some of the best matches in tennis history the first one we start with the 2011 french open men's semi-final between roger and Novak Djokovic. We've also got great cracked interviews. We talked to Dennis Kudla. We've talked to Bethany Maddox-Sands, Chris Woodruff, and more. Hopefully you've listened to all of those podcasts, but if you haven't, go check them out. And of course, if you need your daily fix of tennis, we had Andy Katz on the podcast this week on the mini break. We plan on having Carlos Silva on Friday as well. And of course, we try to keep things fun on there throughout the week, just keep you all distracted. So go like, great subscribe, review all of our Cracked Rackets podcasts if you could please. It would be so appreciated. Shout out to any of you who have signed up for our Patreon at this point. Again, any piece of support we can get, even you know the few dollars so many of you have been willing to contribute, the few dollars, sorry, I meant the dollars that so many of you have been contributed, even if it's only one, two dollars a month, that means the world to us, especially right now. Um, and also, again, just all of the you know, kind comments and reaching out you all do on social media it means the world to us as well. So please continue to do that at at Facebook 
Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets for myself personally, at Great Shot Pod. If you missed any of the content, go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Flager and Daniel Westoff, for the f***ing editing job they do day in, day out. I can report record all of the things I want in the world, but none of it would come out without them putting their polish on it. So shout out to them. But, again, for my wonderful guest, Claire Lou, we wish her all the luck in the world for our super producers, uh, Max Flager and Daniel Westoff. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Hope you enjoyed the interview, folks, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.